Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Home Field Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. This is Dan Newman, along with my co-host, Andrew Newman, and this is episode two of the Hello, Old Sports podcast. Andrew, how are you today? Doing all right, Dan. Um, I'm excited to get into tonight's topic. Um, you know, we did our did our first episode last week, and it was a good experience. We obviously went very long, so hopefully we're uh, we'll gradually start to become a little bit more of a well oiled machine, and we can uh, be a little more concise in our wording. <laughs> exactly. So tonight's episode, which may or may not be a two part episode focuses solely on baseball history and specifically on baseball history in our home state of New York. What we're going to do tonight is we are going to select our all-time team of 30 players in New York Yankees history, consisting of two catchers, two first basemen, two second basemen, two shortstops, two third basemen, six outfielders, eight starting pitchers, four relief pitchers, and then two offensive uh, extra offensive players uh, that can become from any of the positions on the diamond. Once we have selected our Yankee team, we will then do the same for all of the New York National League teams, which will be the New York Giants, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and the New York Mets. Now, just a quick note, when we get to the New York National League teams, that will be only teams, uh, players that played post-1900. So, both uh, the New York Giants and the Brooklyn team, which had a number of names in its early years, both have rich histories during the 19th century as well. But we kind of figured just for simplicity's sake that we would stick to only players that played on those teams after the turn of the 20th century. So we hope in the future, in future episodes to discuss 19th century baseball and teams like the New York Gothams and the early New York Giants and the Brooklyn Superbas and all of those great National League New York teams of the night. We can get a former player on as a guest. <laughs> well, once uh, once we get the time machine going, uh, hope maybe we can do that. Um, you, you're, why don't I put you in charge of figuring that out? Um, <laughs> since you're in you're in New York, so you probably a lot of these guys probably retired in New York, so you can probably get to them a little more easily than I can. I'll- I'll, I'll give that a shot. Um, you know, and, and just a couple of, you know, it, like you were saying with the, with the 19th century, it's like, this is hard enough at one point, especially yeah. with the National League team, because you're not even, you can't even compare the same, you know, for the Yankees, you can go to like all time franchise records and kind of like look up statistics and things with the, with the Mets and the Giants and the Dodgers. And then there's parts of the Giants and the Dodgers you have to throw out, like, because after they moved to California, this is hard enough to then start opening things up to the 19th century is, is a little much. Um, 
you know, like like Dan said, we will. I think we, my brother and I, have both sort of, you know, obviously shared a passion for sports history. But but one of the things that we've always kind of been perturbed by is is people, and it tends to be people of a certain age who, you know, love to talk about the old days from when they were kids. But then if you try to ask them about something from before that, so, you know, they they love to talk about like the Yankees from the seventies or something. But then if you bring up something from the thirties or forties, it's like, Oh, who cares about that? That was a million years ago. So we, we definitely like to embrace really going as far back as possible to the, you know, the beginnings of baseball, but it's just not feasible to compare Daryl strawberry to a guy who died in 1875. Um, just a couple other things to, to touch on where, like my brother said, we're talking about the New York teams. Um, so we're talking about their career with those teams. So when we talk about uh, Reggie Jackson, for example, with the Yankees, we're talking about his Yankee career, his time on the Yankees. It doesn't matter what he did before that. It doesn't matter what he did after that. And the same thing with when we talk about the New York teams that are talk about the National League teams. We're talking about the time those te- those players spent in New York. So for Willie Mays, we're talking about him from 1951 to 1957 when the Giants were in New York, and then the very end of his career when he was a Met. But we're not talking about when he was a San Francisco Giant. For the same reason you, at least on my team, we're not going to see Sandy Koufax on this list because he was a young, wild pitcher in Brooklyn for a couple of years and then became the best pitcher, you know, arguably the most dominant pitcher in the history of baseball, but that was in California. So we're just considering when they played games, when they were, you know, their home team, their their team was based in New York. So that's sort of the ground rules, the, the specifications, right? Absolutely. And beyond that, we didn't really have any specific criteria. So we each put together our separate lists, but then we'll want to come to a consensus and we may focus more on stats. We may focus more on sort of important moments, great players on teams that were not so good versus not quite as good players on teams that won a World Series or in some cases, many World Series. So I think this is an exciting topic. Uh, more likely than not, this will be a two-episode endeavor. We'll go through our all-time Yankee team. And given our propensity to delve into these discussions chances are that we will go long enough just with the yankees to have that be its own standalone episode and then we'll pick up next time around with the new york national league team um a few notes before we get started first of all once we have selected both teams i am going to plug them into a simulation game which some of the audience may as well be familiar with which is out of the park baseball it's a great historical baseball simulation game that I've played for many years. And we're going to plug each of those teams, those 30-man teams, into the game and put together a seven-game series to see who comes out on top. Um, A few other acknowledgments. The idea for the 30-man team constructed as it is with uh, the various positions and the allocations comes from a book that came out a couple years ago called Now Taking the Field by an author by the name of Tom Stone, who did this uh, activity for each of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball. So 30 teams, 30 rosters of 30 players apiece. So thanks to Tom Stone and now taking the field, baseball's all-time dream teams for all 30 franchises for providing the inspiration for this episode. And we'll put the name of that author and book in the show notes. 
And then one other thing uh, before we get started, I just wanted to go through and issue a couple corrections of things that I messed up in the last episode. We, um, in listening back through the episode and cutting, making edits and cuts, I noticed some things that I messed up. So I just wanted to run through a few of those real quick. Um, I mentioned that Yogi Berra and Bill Russell were tied with the most championships by an American professional sports athlete. I was wrong about that. Berra has 10 titles while Russell has 11. So Bill Russell is the all-time leader in championships. One, I said that David Ortiz won four World Series with the Red Sox. He actually only won three, 2004, 2007, and 2013. So, and then I also mentioned the great uh, Dallas Cowboys cornerback, Drew Pearson. Drew Pearson was a wide receiver. I was thinking of Hall of Famer Mel Renfro, a great quarter cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys. So I apologize for the errors. Hopefully there will be less in future weeks, but just wanted to set the record straight on those. And with that, why don't we get started, Andrew, if you're ready, with uh, episode two, the 30-man all-time roster for the New York Yankees. And I just, the last thing we talked, you said we're going to name six outfielders. And I know for me, when I listed the two outfields, my starters and my backups, I did specify which position, but, you know, sometimes when people do this, they get very specific and, oh, you have to have a right fielder, you have to have a center fielder, you have to have a left fielder. And especially when you're talking about the Yankees, that becomes ridiculous because of the three outfielders, you know, technically two of them were center fielders. So we'll cross that bridge when we come to it but I've, I've seen in certain times people really stick to that strictly in a, in a really absurd fashion so for outfielders we're going to have a little bit of uh as long as they were an outfielder you can plug them wherever you want in the outfield absolutely and especially with the yankees because if you look at left field left field is particularly weak in yankees history or at least comparatively weak uh for those who don't know the new york yankees 40 pennants 27 World Series victories. And with that, why don't we go ahead and get started? And let's start behind the plate uh, with what will probably be one of the most competitive positions, and that is catcher. And Andrew, why don't you tell me a little bit what you were thinking about who the two catchers should be for the New York Yankees? So I went into this right away. And I mean, of course, it's it's Yogi Berra and Bill Dickey. Um you know, you think about some of the other guys and, and Jorge Posada certainly had a nice career, a, you know, a very good career as a Yankee. He was on, you know, four of those championship teams and all those years in between. He was on the the 09 team as one of the, you know, they called them the core four, which is obviously not an accurate name, but it was really the guys left over from the 2000 team. He was kind of the was never the captain because of Jeter, but he was the soul of the team. And then you had Thurman Munson, who, again, for fans of a certain age, is really a larger than life sort of idol to to Yankee fans who grew up in that era. But, you know, when you just look at this sort of stature of the players and the teams they played on and their roles on those teams, I, I had Yogi Berra and Bill Dickey as my, my, my two catchers on the roster. I would tend to agree. Catcher is certainly a very strong position for the Yankees. Historically, um, Bill Dickey came along uh, sort of uh, in the 1930s, but did not manage to win an MVP award because he played alongside or played in the same league as guys like DiMaggio and Hank Greenberg, Jimmy Fox, Ted Williams. 
So never won an MVP, but Barrow won, I believe it was three MVP awards. And then you have two other Yankee catchers, neither of whom are in the Hall of Fame, but both of whom won an MVP award. Elson Howard in 1963, who was perhaps best known as the first black player on the Yankees. And then Thurman Munson in 1976 won an MVP award when the Yankees went back to the World Series for the first time in 12 years. Uh, Munson was the MVP, and of course, he's probably uh, best known for dying at a young age in a plane crash in 1979 while he was still an active player. But uh, I think you have to go with both Berra and Dickey. Berra played 18 years, Dickey 17. Um, Berra, as I mentioned, won 10 World Series with the Yankees, the most of any any player in Major League Baseball history. And Bill Dickey, for his own um, credit, one, I believe it was, I just have to do a quick count here. Bill Dickey won seven World Series. And also, um, there's a link between the two men in that they both wore number eight. And Barra early on in his career uh, was a catcher, but he was not a very good defensive catcher. So he had played a lot in the outfield in addition to being a catcher. And when Casey Stengel took over the Yankees in 1949, uh, he brought uh, Bill Dickey in as a coach to work with Yogi Berra. And Berra always credited Dickey for helping him really learn the mechanics of the catching position. So two men who have a personal relationship, both in the Hall of Fame, both won many championships, and they um, are the two uh, starting, or I'm sorry, the two catchers on the Yankees all-time team, although I suspect that when we choose our two uh, flex players that uh, some of these catchers might get revisited. Who do you think, Andrew, should be the starting p- catcher uh, between no. Dickey and Barra? So I went into this thinking it would almost it would definitely be Berra, and I am going to go with Berra, but it, you know it was a little closer than I thought it was going to be. Looking through Bill Dickey's sort of numbers, knowing they don't tell the whole story, but also that's kind of what I have to go on. You know that that thirty six through thirty nine era where the Yankees won four straight championships, which would be the record if not for the forty nine through fifty three team. Um, he was arguably the best player on those teams. It might not even be arguable. He was the, you know, finished fifth, fifth, second, and sixth in the MVP voting those four years. That was the transition from Gehrig as he fell off and, you know, ultimately had to leave baseball. And then Joe DiMaggio was just coming up as a rookie. And Dickey, if you look at those years, you know, was, was clearly the best player, had over a hundred RBIs and, you know, in the high twenties and home runs, uh, every one of those years, those were really, clearly the four best years of his career. But when you look at Berra and you look at the longevity, and I, I did want to circle back real quick with Dickey, six championships. I mean, the 28 team, putting him on the 28 team is a little thin, to be honest. He played 10 games that year. Um, and Correct. Had, so, I mean, I guess technically, but that's, you know. No, but, no, but he won in 32. Mm-hmm. And then 36 through 39. Oh, and then 41 and 43. Okay. Yeah, so seven. I, okay, I, I saw that he was in the military. I thought it was 43 and 44. It was actually 44 and 45. So, okay. Yeah, yeah so he won seven. So. And then that's not counting the 28 one. Correct, correct. Um, but sort I did, of, go ahead. I was just going to say sort of an interesting parallel between the two uh, in that Dickey – was sort of the bridge between the Gehrig years and the DiMaggio years and sort of as DiMaggio was coming up as a rookie and Gehrig was in his decline, Dickey was sort of the consistent 
leader of the team and then Berra the same thing during the five championships in a row between 49 and 53 and that DiMaggio was on his way out and Mantle was on his way back in. And that was the time period when Barrow won his MVP awards. He won one in 51 and then in 54 and 55. So sort of after DiMaggio had sort of started to exit, but before Mantle really came into prominence, Barrow was the leader of those Yankee teams of the early 50s. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think just Berra, when you compare everything, I, you know, each individual category, I think Berra has a slight edge and they add up to Berra getting getting the nod here. Although, like I said, I think it's a little closer than I, I expected it to be, you know, when I first started looking into it. All right, so let's move on to first base. First base is obviously a... um a great position in Yankee history when you think about Lou Gehrig, but it's also sort of a comparatively weak position. I think we can call it sort of right off the bat, say that Lou Gehrig is both our first choice as well as the starting first baseman. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, not to belabor it, but Gehrig, he's a guy who I've talked about before, sort of along the lines of Jackie Robinson, although for obviously different reasons due to with Gehrig, it being, you know, the, the, consecutive games played streak and then you know getting sick with the disease that now unofficially bears his name and then the, the speech and, and all of that people tend to overlook just how dominant of a baseball player he was i mean all you have to do and i won't go number by number but just look at the years really from 27 through really 37 before he got sick and every year he was you know darn near 150 RBIs and in some cases up above 170 and 185 one year and 40 home runs, 30 home runs most of those years, 40 in a bunch of them. I mean, he was a dominant, dominant player from the late 20s until the late 30s. So there's really no question that it's Lou Gehrig. Um, but just to, you know, I just want to sort of throw throw in a, a nod for him as being even better than people you know, not sports historians, but anyone else sort of remembers because all they do is they think about the luckiest man on the face of the earth and the streak. But really, he was a all time legend player, legendary player. And he gets eclipsed also in addition to the streak and the speech and the disease. He also gets eclipsed by the fact that he played with Babe Ruth and Ruth was a larger than life figure. It is rare to see a story about Gehrig's playing days. It doesn't somehow mention Ruth in one regard or another. So as much as one of the greatest baseball players of all time can be, Gehrig does get lost in the shuffle and underrated a little bit. But first person in any American sport to have his number retired and certainly is somebody who deserves the top spot among all of the other Yankee first basemen in the team's history. So. For the backup first baseman or the second first baseman, I had Don Mattingly. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just give you my quick thought on that, and then you can can elaborate and tell me if I'm wrong or not. You know, Mattingly, from when he came up, really his first full year in '83 through the end of the '80s, he was a, a you know one of the best players in baseball in an era with the Yankees not being. I mean, they were good, but they weren't the dominant team that they were for most of the 20th century. But, you know, all the way through 89, he was having 100 plus RBI seasons and playing, obviously, a very good first base and being the face of a Yankee team that, you know, was desperately in need of a face at that point. 
batting averages well above 300 for most of the uh most of the 80s and then he hurt his back and you know most of the rest of his career 90 to 95 and he retired at 34 years old was spent as a shell of himself to varying degrees but um you know i thought what he did in the 80s and and being the face of the franchise was enough to justify having him here as the second first baseman yeah it's hard to make an argument really for anybody else people our age um tend to think of don mattingly as the aging star of the 90s and by the time the yankees made the playoffs for the first time under during Manning's career in 1995, he was a shell of his former self. His last uh, several years in the majors, these were his home run totals, uh, working backwards from 1995, 7, 6, 17, 14, 9, 5. So the Don Mattingly of the 90s is – it is easy for the Don Mattingly of the 90s to cloud out the Don Mattingly of the 80s, but – you're talking about a guy in Mattingly, a guy who won an MVP award in 1985, led the league in RBIs that year, hit 324. Uh, the year before that, uh, he batted 343, won the batting title, led the league in hits. A guy who won five gold, I'm sorry, five gold gloves in the 80s and then another four gold gloves in the 90s. So nine gold gloves, like I said, an MVP award, all star, many times over. So, I think sometimes Don Mattingly gets viewed with a bit of nostalgia by Yankee fans for what sort of an aging warrior he was. But in the 1980s, he was anything but an aging warrior. He was a superstar who probably would have been in the Hall of Fame if he'd been able to stay injury-free for just a couple of more years. So I think that when you look at the numbers, no other first baseman in Yankee history has won an MVP award. No one, no other one has won a batting title. So Don Mattingly, I think, far and away, the second best first baseman in New York Yankees history. All right. So if we go to second base now, I feel like this is probably one that is the most sort of wide open. You know, we've been in agreement on catcher and first base so far. We had the same guys in the same order. Looking at a few of these other positions, especially in the starting lineup, I'd be surprised if there's much divergence. But second baseman feels like one that could go a bunch of ways. My two were Tony Lazeri and Joe Gordon. Do you have different ones or are those your two? I did not have Gordon. I had Tony Lazeri. Now, I think we should say right off the bat, the two Yankee second basemen who are in the Hall of Fame are Tony Lazeri and Joe Gordon. Neither played their entire career with the Yankees, but Lazeri played almost his entire career with the Yankees. Didn't go over to the National League until very late in his career. Um, he was 34. He played 54 games in 1938 with the Cubs. And then in 1939, he played 27 games total with the Dodgers and Giants. So I'm comfortable calling that his whole career with the Yankees, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Um, he had over 300 many years in a row never really led the league in any categories and in 1933 he made the all-star team which by the time um by the time the all-star game sort of came around in 1933 he was in the tail end of his career but hit 100 had 117 RBIs in his rookie year a really really good player and one who was elected to the Hall of Fame I'm curious um 
he was inducted. Okay, he wasn't voted in until 1991 by the Veterans Committee. And then Joe Gordon, who the Yankees actually got rid of Lazari because they saw Joe Gordon coming up. Uh, who Joe Gordon started with the team in 1938, the year Lazari was gone. Joe Gordon won an MVP as a Yankee in 1942. Now, it's worth noting two things. Number one, there were a lot of players who were already gone uh, for World War II service by that time. And second of all, that 1942 American League MVP race is widely considered one of the biggest uh, travesties in the history of MVP voting. Gordon had a nice little year for himself. Uh, he hit 322 and had uh, over 100 RBIs, but Ted Williams that year had a much, much, much better year. And I'll just pull up Williams's stats from that uh, that year as well. Um, Williams that year hit 356, led the league in hitting, and had 36 home runs and 137 RBIs. So that equates to a triple crown for Ted Williams in 1942, but probably because he didn't get along very well with the sports writers, they gave the MVP to Joe Gordon. So even though Gordon has an MVP as a Yankee, his Yankee career is not really all that impressive. He um, went on to the Indians for the last few years of his career, won another championship, played in a couple more all-star games. So while I agree that Lazari belongs on the list, I just couldn't really put Gordon on there despite some of the things that he did do as a Yankee. My second Yankee second baseman is Robinson Cano. Hmm. Um, put up some really solid numbers. He was at or near 25 to 30 home runs almost every year. He was at or near 100 RBIs several times. Uh, he won uh, despite his reputation for being a somewhat uh, – lazy player. He won a couple of gold gloves. He was a key player on the 2009 championship, led the league in games played in 2009 with 161. So he was an everyday factor for the Yankees in 2009. He hit 320 that year. Actually didn't make the all-star team that year, interestingly enough, but um, I kind of went with Cano there. Um, the other one I considered was Willie Randolph, who's the all-time leader in war for the Yankees at second base. But in some ways, that's sort of a um, a result of the fact that Randolph played 13 years with the Yankees, whereas Cano only played nine. So I think you can make a case for Randolph, Cano, or Gordon in that second spot, but I went with Cano. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I, I think... And I, full disclosure, the second base was the last one I filled in because I kind of went through and, you know, filled in some of these ones right away that were easy and they kind of went back and forth. And I think by the time I got there, I was sort of looking at the rest of my infield, especially and thought uh, maybe I, you know, I think I allowed my need to. Sometimes I worry with the Yankees, especially that, like, I know a lot about the 20s teams and obviously I know about the teams since I grew up. And then, you know, a little of like the, the 50, like, I feel like sometimes the thirties teams I overlook. So I think I might've sort of overcorrected there. Um, you could certainly, you know, the way you laid it out there, it certainly, I, I guess I never realized that Cano was there as long as he was. Yeah. I think because he came up so young and also because he left and his 
uh, even he's still in the league to this day. So I think you kind of forget just how long he was with the team. So, all right, we'll go with Cano along with Lazari. I think we want to make Lazari the starter. Yeah, I think, well, because I mean, we both agreed on that, right? Absolutely. All right, let's look at third base. Um, who do you have as your starting third baseman? My starting third baseman is Alex Rodriguez. And Alex Rodriguez is the answer. Unless the argument is steroids, which, you know, we hadn't really talked about factoring that in, um, or just sort of... And look, I get even watching A-Rod as a player, as a fan of his, he could be infuriating even when he was playing well, and certainly he hung on for a very long time when he was kind of useless the last few years of his career. But, I mean, he won a couple MVPs with the Yankees uh, in 05 and 07. Um, he was the reason they won the World Series in 2009. He was a, a dominant player in the playoffs. And just, again, you look at the some of the home runs and RBI numbers as a Yankee. There is, his first year, which was considered by a lot of people to be like really disappointing, he had 36 and 106. 48 and 130, 35 and 121. His best season with the Yankees was 07, where he went 54 and 156. And then every other year after that, for the next four, was at least 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, in some cases, a lot more RBIs. And then even coming back in 2015 after being suspended for a year and as a full time DH, he was hit 33 home runs and 86 RBIs. Absolutely. I think. Yankee fans, um, A-Rod, as you said, he's not an easy guy to like. He said things, he still does say things that just make you scratch your head as to how he can be so dense. But won two MVPs with the Yankees. Uh, 2005, he won his first MVP. He had 48 home runs, 130 RBIs, and a batting average of 321. 2007, he had 156 RBIs, 54 home runs. And 314 batting average. I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to look up here real quick to see who won the batting title for the, um, the American League in 2007 because A-Rod, okay. Maglio Ordonius hit 354. So quite a ways away from A-Rod, but nonetheless, you know, hit over 300 and led in the other two triple crown categories. The other thing that you alluded to, which I think is a really good point. Despite the fact that he was known for not being a clutch performer in the postseason, and there were several years when he first got to the Yankees that, that was true, uh, starting with that 04 series against the Red Sox when they blew the 3 nothing lead. But he had 455 in the ALDS in 2009. He had 429 in the ALCS. And even in the World Series, his batting average dipped a bit. For a 250 uh, average, but he still had a home run. He still had, it uh, looks like, uh, six RBIs. So the real, the star of the last Yankee championship team and somebody who would certainly be a Hall of Famer had it not been for um, the issues uh, over PEDs. And I think the other thing that maybe hurts him sometimes is the rivalry with Jeter. Yankee fans love Jeter, but... Nonetheless, it is really, really difficult to make an argument for anybody besides A-Rod as the and, all-time Yankee third baseman. And we're going to underscore that right here. And that, the only other, the only thing for a second I thought was, you know, he did play DH a lot, but I, I looked and there were enough years where he was primarily the third baseman where I, I counted that. Um, 
the, 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 and the way we're going to underscore that it has to be A-Rod is right now when we talk about who the backup is or who the second, third baseman is. And then, I mean, not to diminish any of the guys we're going to talk about, but, like, you can't, with a straight face, make a baseball argument for picking one of these guys against Alex Rodriguez. I would go with Greg Nettles as the and backup so did third baseman. Uh, the only other one who maybe really would compete is Red Rolf, who played 10 years with the team. But Nettles um, played most of his career with the Yankees, spent some time in the National League towards the end of his career, and then spent some time with the um, the Twins and the Indians at the beginning of his career. But the bulk of Greg Nettles' career was with the Yankees. couple of all-star games, couple of gold gloves. He was sort of one of the consistent performers for the team throughout the time of the uh the Bronx Zoo era he was on the team in 76 when they made their first world series and then he was on the team in 81 when he made their last world series of that era um not a superstar with the bat never really batted above about 260 or so um Led the American League in home runs with 32 in 1976, and uh, in 78 put on a uh, a performance with the glove where he made a number of sort of highlight reel stops at third base in during the 1978 World Series against the Dodgers. So widely regarded as a great teammate, uh, somebody who was a leader on the team, a consistent presence in a time when, let's be honest, the time when they didn't really have a lot of consistent presences. So really, you know, again, you could look at Red Rolf, you could look at a home run Baker who was a Hall of Famer who played a few years with the Yankees, um, Cleet Boyer, Wade Boggs, you know, some of these guys who had a couple good years for the Yankees. But I think if you look at third base, um, it's probably um, one of the weakest positions on the diamond for the Yankees. Relatively speaking, most teams would love to have the Yankees third base history, but I think it's A-Rod and then Nettles as the backup. Yep. Yeah, I think if you look at it, probably looking at sort of the quote-unquote backup team, I think third base is probably the weakest position, at least mm. that I have listed here. So I, 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 you know, again, taking A-Rod just on the numbers, I, I would think probably second base is the weakest in the starting nine. Um, but, uh, yeah, it did, you know, it's not overall... I looked at a guy like Cleet Boyer because I knew he was was a very very good defensive third baseman. But then you look and you're like, hey, he really wasn't. He didn't. He wasn't around very long to begin with. You know what I mean? So absolutely, I think it definitely definitely is Nettles. Um, that would lead us into shortstop to wrap up the infield. We've been in pretty much pretty good agreement here and uh, in the infield, and I assume this will continue here. Um, Jeter and then Rizzuto was my order. Yeah, it's hard to go anywhere else. Um, Jeter obviously is the selection at shortstop. He's obviously the best shortstop in Yankee history. Maybe gets a little bit overrated historically as far as what a great player he was in the history of baseball. But in Yankee history, you know, five championships, only Yankee in history to have 3,000 hits, played 20 years, team captain, you name it. Derek Jeter, and then... Should have been the MVP in 2006, so he'd at least have an MVP to his name, and they gave it to Morneau. Yeah, which is silly. I agree. And then um, World Series MVP in 2000, a guy who, again, 
does it get overestimated a little bit? Sure. But a guy who did a lot of the intangible things that uh, led the Yankees during all of those years, he was the consistent pre- consistent presence. And then the only other guy who's in the Hall of Fame at shortstop for the Yankees is Phil Rizzuto. Rizzuto, sort of somebody who I would put him sort of in the category of being a very good player, probably was not what you would consider a great player. His Hall of Fame induction is something that's a little bit dubious. Uh, There's some questions, and I probably share some of them, about whether or not Rizzuto actually does belong in the Hall of Fame, but won an MVP award in 1950 and a well-deserved MVP award. He hit 324 that year and um, what I really did have a really good year in 1950, but that was the only year other than his rookie year that he ever batted 300. So again, a very good player, a winning player, a, a great teammate, and obviously a great Yankee given that he stayed associated with the team for 40 years as a broadcaster after he left the after his playing career ended in 1956. So a very good player, not a great player, but certainly somebody who deserves the nod over players like Roger Peckinpah, Frank Crosetti, Tony Kubek, those types of guys. So I think we're going to go with Rizzuto and Jeter and Jeter as the starter. Yep, and just I wanted to touch on one thing with Jeter before we move on. I think you're right in that he's overrated in the the sort of like aura and intangibles and like, you know, oh, well, he just refused to lose. The things guys kind of say who just like they're trying to write a column or whatever, or they're trying to be profound. But I think as a player, he almost gets... I don't know if underrated is the right word, but I think he gets unfairly maligned. But as the defensive metrics like advanced more, it seems like every time there was an article about Derek Jeter's defense, he went, you know, he went down a notch to the point where he was considered he was like the worst player at any position in the history of baseball defensively. You know, it, it went from like, oh, he's actually not as good defensively as you think to like, oh, he's actually average to he's below average to he's the worst shortstop in baseball defensively. It just like kept going down. And then the same thing with the offense. I mean, whatever your thoughts are on new stats, on old stats, hits is a foundational stat. And he's, what, sixth all-time in hits, seventh all-time in hits? It's thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and he probably was, if he played another season or two, could have gotten as high as third, but he didn't want to, you know, that wasn't what he was interested in. But yeah, he's he's sixth all-time in hits, and the ones he's behind are... Pete Rose, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, Stan Musial, and Tris Speaker. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are immortals. Um, so again, just we don't need to, to spend forever memorializing Derek Jeter, but I think he's he's both overrated the whole intangible thing and a little bit either underrated or slighted his actual baseball career. I think that's right. I think there's a certain breed of sports writer or commentator who resents the Yankees so much that they want to tell you that, you know, Derek Jeter was no better than Jim Tomey or, uh, you know, Harold Baines and the intangibles with Jeter. Intangibles can be overestimated, but they do matter. And so I'm comfortable with the 
position in history, both Yankee history and baseball history that Derek Jeter has taken. Why don't we move to the outfield? And we were planning to select six outfielders. I'd imagine that we can sort of cross the first three off the list, the starting outfield pretty quickly. Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio. I think we might as well go ahead and make the selection right now. I would say that Mantle probably deserves to be the starting uh, center fielder, and we moved DiMaggio over to the corner because Mantle did play the position longer and um, probably just had a slightly better career. And this is a conversation for another time, but Mantle had a slightly better career than DiMaggio. So I think we can leave Mantle in center and move DiMaggio over to the corner. Okay, I, I had listed DiMaggio at center, um, I guess just because I was thinking, and I know DiMaggio had issues later in his career too, but I guess I was just thinking sort of on the balance with Mantle, the number of injuries he had to deal with, and you know, at, at any given time, how hobbled was he by that, but it's really not. To tell you what. You know what? You give me those guys as my outfield, and uh, we'll figure out a place to put all of them. So. You know what, though? I think you won me over because the more I think about it, DiMaggio played his whole career in center field. Mantle played first base the last few years of his career. And even uh, in the early 60s, there were times when he was injured and they had to flip-flop him with Roger Maris. So, uh, And Maris played center and Mantle played right field. So I am going to give in. I, I think you're right. I'm going to move DiMaggio to center and let's put Mantle on the corner. Now we have to choose three more outfielders. Why don't we each sort of list our three, and then we can talk about it from there. I had Earl Combs, Bernie Williams, and Roger Maris. Okay, we only agree on one, actually, and it's one I didn't think we would agree on. I, I went with Bernie as my center fielder, um, as my my second center fielder. So um, probably on balance the best player on the, the early the late 90s, early 2000 teams that actually won the championships. I mean, Jeter was young and upcoming and they had good pitching. And But like the best day-to-day player during those teams was Bernie Williams. And before that, you know, he'd been around for a few years before that. But, you know, won the batting title in 98, was an all-star all of those years that they, they won all those championships. Um, gold glove from 97 to 2000. Never had much of an arm, but he was still a very good defensive center fielder. Um, you know, actually had a higher batting average in 99 than he did when he won the batting title in 98. He was 339 and then 342, um, you know, over 100 RBIs or right around there most of the time. Uh, so I, I, I think we definitely both agree on Bernie. The next one I went with was Winfield. And I was actually blown away by how good Winfield's numbers were as a Yankee. You know, I know a lot of people talk about him as a Padre, but uh, as I looked him up, you know, just to get a sort of, sense of it. I mean, A, he was a Yankee the whole 80s. He was a Yankee longer than you think. And then if you look, he was an all-star every year. He was a Yankee. He was finished between 7th and 11th in the MVP for about five straight years as a Yankee. Um, You know, over 100 RBIs every year except 81. And that was obviously a a year where they missed a lot of games because of the strike. Um, You know, again, another guy who was much more maligned for a while by his owner, but also just as for not being Reggie Jackson. Um, so I went with Winfield and then I did, I finally did go with Reggie. Um, I, for a second, I was a little unsure of how long he had been there. You know, he wasn't really there very long and, and that sort of thing. But Maris really, I mean, 
how many good years did Roger Maris have as a Yankee? Back to back MVP awards. Um, let me let me pull up. I had Reggie's stats up here. Let me pull up uh, Maris's <laughs> as well. Nineteen sixty, he won the MVP. Thirty nine home runs, hundred and twelve RBIs, five eighty one slugging, led the league. 1961 led the league, obviously 61 home runs, 141 RBIs. And then 62, uh, 100 RBIs, 33. So, yeah, I guess really only two, a decent player. He only played 90 games in 1963. So, all right. I think I'm willing to to abandon Maris. Um, Let me go way back here. Earl Combs, who is in the Hall of Fame gets eclipsed by the fact that he played with Ruth and Gehrig and Lazari and um, later Dickey. But a guy who's in the Hall of Fame hit over 300 almost every year of his career, including years like 345, 344. Um, so... 356 in 1928. Yeah, so I'm... 27, excuse me, it was 27. My guess is that the presence of Earl Combs in the Hall of Fame, yeah, 1970, that was during the era when some guys who were getting let into the Hall of Fame maybe necessarily weren't entirely deserving of it. Here's my issue with Reggie. He had big moments for the Yankees, but he also sort of had Mm. a lot of stinkers, and there were many times when Billy Martin even benched him. Now. Part of that was because of the conflict between Reggie and Billy, and Billy Martin was nobody's picture of sanity. But Reggie's last year with the Yankees, he only played five. He had he hit only two thirty seven, um, only had fifteen home runs. They only played ninety four games, and so I'm guessing there were some injuries, not to mention a strike. But two thirty seven. Um, I, I think I guess maybe I'm inclined to. Um, to suggest a little bit of a compromise here and maybe uh, go with Combs and Winfield. Yeah, I think that's, like I said, Jackson was my last one. And that was sort of, I looked at Jackson and I looked at Winfield or not with, I looked at Reggie. I looked at Combs. I looked at Maris and I was really trying to, I guess maybe it is Reggie, but um, yeah, I think Combs and Winfield is a good, uh, I would fight more on getting Winfield in there. So I, I, I think that makes sense. All right. My guess is that we'll probably um, be able to get through the pitchers a little more quickly. So who do we want to put as sort of our two uh, last-minute roster additions here? Um, my suggestion was for the two catchers, was for Elston Howard and Thurman Munson. Did you have anybody that you felt strongly about? So I had Elston, so we definitely mm-hmm. agree on him. Um, I had Willie Randolph over, uh, Thurman Munson. Um, I know we talked about him a little bit with the second baseman. Again, another guy, just kind of a different type of player than we have in, on this list in a lot of different places. Now I know he played on a bunch of other teams, but he was a Yankee again from 76 to 88 exclusively. He was a Yankee. So he was there a very long time, you know, number is an all-star a handful of time numbers that don't blow you away but um you know at a position that wasn't exactly the strongest position so that's that's why i had willie in there um 
if you make the case for Munson, I, I could certainly see where you, where you'd put Munson in over him. I just I wasn't going to put four guys at the same. You know, position. I think that's fair. I think if we were just talking Munson versus Randolph, I might be able to make a stronger case for Munson. But given that we already have three catchers, why don't we throw Randolph on there? Um, so let me just run through before we get to the pitching. Uh, our catchers, uh, Yogi Berra, Bill Dickey, and Elson Howard. And I'm listing the listing the um, starter. At each position first here, first baseman, Lou Gehrig and Don Mattingly, second baseman, Tony Pushemup Lazari and Robinson Cano, third base, Alex Rodriguez and Greg Nettles, shortstop, Derek Jeter and Phil Rizzuto, and then in the outfield, we have starters of Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio, and backups of Earl Combs, Bernie Williams and Dave Winfield. Let's turn now to the pitchers. Um... Let's do relievers first, because I have a feeling that's going to be quicker, and then we can take it home with the All right, starters. who are your four relievers? Obviously, Mariano Rivera's one. I went with both guys from the 70s. I went with Goose Gossage and Sparky Lyle. And then my fourth reliever was Johnny Murphy uh, from the 30s and 40s. Um, you know, again, no, the word closer didn't really exist back then, but if you look... From 37 on, he finished between 30, between 25 and 30 games most of those years. Um, they've sort of retroactively given him saves in the high teens, which again, now wouldn't be much, but a very different era back then. So I, uh, I went, he was an all-star actually a couple of times as a relief pitcher, which I have to imagine was pretty rare back then. So uh, that was who I went with was Johnny Murphy from the, or those are my four, but Sort of the one older one was was Johnny Murphy from the primarily the 30s and early 40s. Yeah, I'm with you on the first three. Um, Sparky Lyle, only Yankee relief pitcher ever to win a Cy Young Award in 1977. Right after the 1977 season, uh, despite the fact that Sparky Lyle was the closer and had won the Cy Young Award, uh, George Steinbrenner decided to trade for the future Hall of Famer Goose Gossage, and Lyle was demoted to a sort of uh, a much more of a mop-up role, causing the great Greg Nettles line that Sparky went from Cy Young to Sayonara. I'm with you on Rivera, Gossage, and Lyle. I had gone with Araldus Chapman as the fourth reliever because he's had some really good dominant years for the Yankees, but I think I sort of, the more that I think about it, um, he hasn't actually spent as much time with the Yankees as four years and then the beginning of 2016, which wasn't even the beginning. Yeah. Was suspended. So, yeah, I guess I'm probably inclined to give you Murphy because he was probably and his his nickname, I believe, was um, was he nicknamed Fireman? I mean, I know they all sort of were. Yes, he was nicknamed Fireman and also Grandma. Yeah, I saw he was nicknamed Grandma because of his habits. So I guess he was like, you know, I guess he was not one of the like the partiers on the team. <laughs> no, you know what? I think I'm going to give you Murphy because of his importance to winning teams as opposed to Chapman sort of not having had that much of that importance as of yet. So, um, yeah, I, I will give you uh, I'll give you Johnny Murphy there. So our relief pitchers, Mariano Rivera, of course. Goose Gossage, Sparky Lyle, and Johnny Murphy. Now we are on to the starting pitchers, and um, why don't you sort of list yours off, list, list your eight off, and I will uh, 
I will tell you well, I, whether I have uh, each of those or not and uh, maybe give you a little bit of detail. So go ahead. Okay. All right. And as uh, I, I'll list these in order of like when I put them on the list, meaning how sure I was going to be that they were going to be one of the top eight. And so meaning as we get lower, I'm a little less confident and I'm sure you're going to have notes on that. So Whitey Ford, number Absolutely, one. Absolutely. Uh, the best pitcher in – Yankees history, one of the biggest uh, big game pitchers in the history of baseball. Um, only won one Cy Young Award in 1961, but keep in mind that the Cy Young uh, Award didn't come around in the mid-1950s. And also when he won it in 61, that was a time when the award was given to um, only one pitcher in all of baseball. Casey Stengel tended to hold Ford out to only pitch him uh, in big games. But in 1961, Ralph Houck takes over. Ford makes uh, six more starts than he had the previous year. Goes 25 and four. Two years later, he goes 24 and seven. Still to this day, holds the record for most consecutive scoreless innings in World Series play. So, first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers in baseball history, one of the best left-handers, one of the best postseason pitchers, and. For my money, definitely the best pitcher in Yankee history. So I'm with you on Whitey Ford. All right. Uh, the next one I have is Andy Pettit. I had Pettit too. Borderline Hall of Famer probably doesn't get in because of some of the issues he had with HGH, but a great big game pitcher for the Yankees uh, every year from 1996 to the early 2010s. Minus a couple years in uh, in Houston, one of the few players that was a contributing player to all five um, Yankee championships from '96 to '09, still should have won the Cy Young Award in '96 in the AL when he went 21 and eight. But for some reason, they decided to give it to Pat Henkin. So, um, absolutely meant a ton to the Yankees for a lot of years. So, definitely Andy Pettit on the list. Right. Absolutely. A guy who maybe you don't hear about as much in history, a name that's been lost to history a little bit, but um, played on the Yankees for a long time. Started his career with the Red Sox, finished it with the White Sox, but played a lot of good years for the Yankees Mm -hmm. in between. um, A great hitting pitcher for what's that worth was often used to pinch hit on his off days. Many-time All-Star, many-time 20-game winner, so absolutely I'm with you on Red Ruffing. All right, yep, next Lefty Gomez kind of goes along with Ruffing as the great pitchers of the Yankees of the 30s and 40s. Ruffing probably a little bit better than Gomez was, but Gomez had some great seasons, 26-5 uh, and five, uh, with an ERA of 2.33 to lead the league in both um, wins and ERA in 34. Uh, Three years later, won 21 games and had the exact same ERA of 2.33 in 1937. So 
a pitcher on one, two, three, four, five, six championship teams, well known as one of the great jokesters of the Yankees during that time period. In fact, after he retired from baseball, he was applying for a job. And when they asked him, uh, why did you leave your last position? He said, I couldn't get anybody out anymore. So, um, great Yankee Hall of Famer, uh, absolutely with you on Lefty Gomez. Yes. Those four would all be on the list. All right. Now we get into the next four. And like I said, there's kind of a confidence drop here for me, at least. Uh, next, I went with Wait Hoyt. I also had Wait Hoyt, a Hall of Famer on the Murderer's Row Yankees of the 20s. You don't often hear a lot about the Yankees of the 20s as far as their pitching is concerned. But Hoyt, a Hall of Famer, another one of those guys who got in later on the Veterans Committee but a Hall of Famer, nonetheless, played for a lot of years, was in baseball for 21 seasons, um, led the league in wins in 1927, which wasn't hard to win 22 games for the 1927 Yankees, but he did it nonetheless. Um, never an all-star, even though he played until the late 30s uh, when there were all-star games. So, yeah, I agree with you that there's a drop-off here, but I, I definitely I take Hoyt. So. And in Hoyt in 27, I know you didn't you know, it was hard not to win that many games, but he also had a sub three ERA in an era where ERAs were really starting to shoot up. So, you know, it, clearly from the early part of the 20s, really the whole 20s, he was a very, very good pitcher and then moved on in the 30s with Detroit and the A's and then he just played for half the National League. But I did have Hoyt. Number six, I, had I Gidry went with also. Ron Gidry. And, you know, I feel like Ron Guidry too often gets reduced to one year, to 1978, when he was amazing. What was it? 25-3, uh, 1.74 ERA. They win the World Series. Um, you know, that crazy comeback that, meaning comeback, meaning, you know, the last month and a half of the season. But, you know, you look, he also, he was played his whole career with the Yankees, pitched until he was 37 years old in 1988. And... You know, as late as 1985, when he was 34 years old, he went 22 and six with a 3.27 ERA. Um, really longevity here, stood the test of time. Wanted, you know, in 79, he was finished third in the Cy Young voting. Couple of other years where he finished in the top five or six. Uh, 85, he was second in Cy Young. Um, you know, bet between the longevity and then the certain number of dominant seasons and, you know, was on all the winning teams and then, for a while after that. So I, I definitely I think, think that if he had played in an earlier era, Gidry would probably be in the Hall of Fame. There tend to be more Hall of Famers, believe it or not, from the sort of era from the 30s to the 50s, because a lot of those players from that era later got onto the Veterans Committee and made some more questionable selections. Gidry is probably a borderline Hall of Famer. And you're right that 78 is only one year, but how many pitchers can say that they had that dominant of a season and if Gidry is not on those Yankee team, that Yankee team in 1978, they do not catch the Red Sox and win the American League East and then go on to win the World Series. So, absolutely. I'm with not, you on Gidry. Close. All right. So, the last two guys I have here, um, now going, you know, going way back again, a guy who played a bunch of his career elsewhere, but from. 23 through 33, he was a Yankee, so basically his whole 30s. Uh, Herb Pennock, 
was also like, you know, he was on the same teams that Hoyt was when we talked about, um, was actually better in terms of ERA most of those years. Uh, he won his best year win-wise was actually in 26 when he won 23 games. Best year ERA-wise would have been in 28 when he was 17-6 and six with a 2.56 ERA. Um, you know, 20-plus wins a couple of times, high teens a bunch of other times, and in an era, again, where ERAs were moving <laughs> rapidly in an upward direction was very, very for a lot of very, very I did not teams. have Pennick. Um Hall of Famer, another one of those guys who's sort of a borderline Hall of Famer, okay. but I did not have Pennick, so why don't we uh why don't we move on and we'll we'll hash that out in a couple of minutes. So we agreed on the first six, which is interesting. And then my last one I had the last one I had was Allie Reynolds. Um again, I was sort of looking at a bunch of different ones and Maybe possibly not, you know, maybe rightly or wrongly. I was kind of thinking that we don't really have a pitcher from that era there, you know, like the late forties or like a lot the DiMaggio teams. And I know he was on the, a little bit later, but you know, I looked and had a really good year in 52 and ERA just over two and was on all those teams that was, that won the five straight, um, was an all-star most of those years, except for 51 was probably their best pitcher. All of those years definitely was their best pitcher all of those years. So, um, 51, he was finished third in the MVP 52nd. He finished second in the MVP. I did not uh, have Reynolds, Reynolds either. The big pitcher. three of the late forties, early fifties, Eddie Lopat, Vic Rashi and Allie Reynolds. Uh, Reynolds is sort of considered the first among equals. He is the only one of the three, for instance, who has a plaque in Monument Park at Yankee Stadium. So obviously there was something about Reynolds that the other three did not have that led the team to want to honor him with a plaque in Monument Park. He was a guy who in, uh, I think it was in the 52 season, it might have been 53, um, there was Yankees uh, team bus had an accident and Reynolds was injured um, somewhat significantly, but not um, overly so, and made it harder for him to pitch as a starter. So then in his last couple of years, converted himself to a relief pitcher and one of one of the best relief pitchers in the American League in the early to mid-50s in 53 and 54. So um, led the league in ERA once, one twenty game season, by no means a great pitcher, but by no means a Hall of Famer, but a very good pitcher and definitely the first among equals of the um, the big three of the late 40s and early 50s. I did not have either of those. Um, so let me tell you who my final two were. Uh, for my first one, I went all the way back to the beginning of the franchise, and I went to a Hall of Famer by the name of Jack Chesbro, who was on the what was then the New York Highlanders for the mm -hmm. first um, six or seven years of their existence. Won 40 games uh, in 1904 for the Yankees, which was the only Yankee team prior to the Ruth years that came close to winning a championship. 41 and 12 with an ERA of 1.82, obviously a, a pitcher's era. But uh, the fact that he's in the Hall of Fame and the fact that he did uh, that 41 game season led me to include him on my list. And then my other pitcher was Roger Clemens. I think the steroids stuff okay. and the fact that he was so good for other teams in Boston, Toronto, and even Houston kind of leads you maybe to um, go away from Clemens a little bit, but did win a Cy Young Award as a Yankee uh, with a 20-3 and record in 2001 um, and an 871 loss percentage. Um, 
not a great postseason pitcher, but the fact that he won the Cy Young and the fact that he did have some pretty good years as a Yankee led me to put Clemens on my list. Um, I don't know where we want to go with this. I think just looking at his stats, I may have talked myself out of Clemens a little bit because he had the one good year, but other than that, um, never won more than 14. I guess in, in, sorry, in 03, he won 17 games for the Yankees, but ERA never under 3.5, much lower than what he had earlier in his career and certainly had his struggles in the postseason. So, of the four, I think with your permission, I think we can cross Clemens off the list. Um, I like your idea of Allie Reynolds. I think that um, his importance to those teams in the late 40s and early 50s probably makes him worth including. Um, so maybe I would suggest another compromise here where we go with Chesbro and Reynolds because Pennick, despite the fact in his Hall of, that he's in the Hall of Fame, doesn't really have particularly impressive numbers. In fact, there are some people who think that um, some of the other players from the 20s, some of the other pitchers like Urban Shocker or Bob Shockey maybe are more deserving of being in the Hall of Fame than Herb Pennick. So but our starting pitchers, Whitey Ford, one. Lefty Gomez, Red Ruffing, Wait Hoyt, Ron Guidry, Ali Reynolds, and Jack Chesbro. And our bullpen will consist of Mariano Rivera, Goose Gossage, Sparky Lyle and Johnny Grandma Murphy. Um, so I think uh, I think we have our thirty man team. I think any concerns that we might um, run short on this and have to go go to the National League team, I think we're we're not well founded. Now let me uh, just because we didn't talk about this, and I know we we're getting to the point where we want to wrap up here, but. Um... Who do we have to manage? So my initial thing, you know, you could certainly look and say who's the best player, you know, who's the most successful best manager in Yankees history. But I'll throw the wrinkle in there of if this were a real team and some of the people involved and some of the egos involved and, you know, all of that. Just to factor that in there. I don't know if that changes so not the decision, but just to factor it in there. You know, um, no, I don't think my so. original thought was to be between Stengel and McCarthy because they're the two winningest players. And I think I was slightly leaning McCarthy because, um, McCarthy sort of won. Um, he, he was a good manager elsewhere beyond just with the Yankees, which Stengel really wasn't. Given your criteria, I'm almost tempted to go with Joe Torrey because Joe Torrey showed himself in his years with the Yankees, quite adept at handling egos, Johnny Damon, Hideki Matsui, um, A-Rod, Randy Johnson, Clemens. I was going to say, that's two interesting guys to start with. Sheffield's yeah. another one, John, yeah. So, Gary Sheffield? Um, yeah, I don't know why I thought those two guys first, but... Um, yeah, that, no, that's a fair Hideki point. Matsui so, anyway, ego? you take my drift. Um... Either Stangle or Tory. I, you know, Stangle's certainly the one who had the most success. And just as I was waiting to talk, I was like, oh, I wonder if you factored in actually managing this team. You know, I mean, a guy like McCarthy, I think we know probably would exactly. fly real big with Babe Ruth because he didn't the first time. And I don't imagine, I don't imagine Mickey Mantle and some of those guys from those partying teams would have been a, his biggest uh, supporters either. But you know, well, it's all as Casey Stangle says, exercise. being with a woman, being with a woman. Never heard a ball player. It's staying up all night looking for a woman that does him in. 
And he also said, you can't drink in the hotel bar because that's where I drink. So um, either Tori or Stengel are probably our selections there. So a good episode. We will see you all next time around for the New York National League all-time 30-man all-star team. Again, thanks to Tom Stone for his now taking the field, baseball's all-time greatest teams for all 30 franchises. And uh, thank you very much. We look forward to hearing from you next time. I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.